Hey, this is Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. We just want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. We also want to make sure that you are aware that there are a few ways you can connect with us. So be sure to check us out on our Instagram and Facebook accounts, and you can head over to our website, theultrarunningguys.com, so you can see the live races that we're hosting. Lastly, don't miss out on an opportunity to connect with us on Patreon, where we'll be providing behind-the-scenes content, and this year we'll be spending a lot of time really building up that community. So thank you again. Be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, and enjoy the episode. But at some point, he was like, man, I feel like I just have so much energy. I don't know, man. I could probably just like sprint and just start <laughs> just drunken. Like, and I was having a hard time keeping up. I was like, yo, dude, you need to chill because you still have like 30, 40 more miles to go, man. And so we were just laughing. And I think in that moment when I saw that, though, I was like, yo, I need to, I need to figure out if I could do that, too. Like, if I could get into this same fatigue and exhaustion and just have the same energy to sprint it out at mile 60. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys podcast. We got Jeremy Rounds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. If this is your first time listening, thank you so much for taking the time. And if you've been with us for a while, we love you. We appreciate you. Here's the deal. A few weeks back, we asked you all, the incredible Ultra Running Guys community, who you want to hear on the show. And we got an immediate response from Dylan Scarangelli. And he was like, you have to talk to this guy, Eric Huell. He then proceeded to explain that, yes, Eric had run the Tuna Relay, which, by the way, is a 200-mile relay as a solo runner. Because why not? No, because why not? And he also recently just completed 29 laps to cover 121-plus miles in the last man standing ultra, so a man after my own heart. I'm a backyard guy. But the most importantly, and I quote from Dylan, on top of all his accomplishments, Eric is just a beacon of joy and a positivity to everyone around him. He is always smiling, even through the toughest and most painful situation, and is always encouraging and cheering on everyone around him. So not only did that get our attention, but we love this, uh, Eric's philosophy of normalizing crazy. Because as he says, if you say a goal enough, then it's normalized in your mind and it becomes approachable. So if you want to hear how to make your crazy goals approachable, stick around while we chat with Eric Huell. Eric, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much, guys. I'm stoked to be here. That's a huge like endorsement from a friend. I know. Did you pay him? <laughs> yeah, I was actually just thinking, did you guys, uh, did he just lie to you guys to get me on this show? But no, I've known, awesome. Dylan, I've known Dylan since high school. So he's uh, seen me since I was what? 15 16 up until now 28 so he's seen me through a lot of stages of life so that's very encouraging dylan i actually thought you were going to break out and start crying there for a moment <laughs> yeah there might be a single uh, yeah. <laughs> dylan will appreciate that as well but shout out to dylan he's been awesome thank you uh and he was again one of the i think it's probably the first to come back and say this is a guy you want to talk within to. minutes so <laughs> So we already said, man, there's a couple of big things that we want to talk on. There's some big topics that I think we want to cover, get into your mind a little bit, but we've got to figure out kind of how you got there in the first place. So 
take us back. We know that we just talked about you grew up skateboarding. We know you've been to mountain biking and cycling. How did the transition, like where did running come into play for you? Yeah, totally. So maybe I'll take you even further back to middle school. Um, I was overweight. Um, I don't know if I was that fat as much as maybe middle schoolers are just mean, but kind of starts at being called fatty at the bus stop. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think I fell into that category of people that takes ownership of that title. So that when we played like football at the bus stop, I was like, I don't know, just own the fact that I was fatty. So I'd come charging at people and then they would kind of move out of the way. And so quick way to get touchdowns and all, but then over time, you kind of, you kind of go, wait, you know, this isn't something that I should probably like own in a way of like, I'm a chunker, dude. Like I should actually take ownership of this and like make a change. Right. So in eighth grade, I guess going into the summer uh, before high school, right. I was thinking, all right, maybe I'll hit a growth spurt that people tell me that's when you typically hit a growth spurt going into high school. So that would work for me. And also I want to become like a new dude going into high school. So that time, right, like you guys mentioned, I was a skateboarder. Uh, so I had flat bottom skate shoes, right? Lakai's for any skateboarders out there. Some reason I had some like pleated golf shorts or like khaki pleated golf shorts. Don't know why I had those. Hanes white V-necks. And then I had probably like the biggest head of like fluffy hair that you've ever seen and like pretty red. So I was one, I was a fat redheaded kid, right? <laughs> so, two things going against me. But uh, out here in the summer of North Carolina, it's just air soup in the summer. It is so hot and so thick. And just was like, look, man, I got I got shoes. I got some clothes. Let's start running because I think that's what you're supposed to do to lose weight, right? So I guess it was pre-watch times for me at least. So I'd start the clock on my oven, time how long it took to get to the front door, run the one mile lap around my neighborhood and then run in count how many seconds it took to get back to the oven again, hit off and then subtract that time. Right. And so slowly started seeing that mile time decrease as I'm looking like the biggest goof, just sweating through my pleated golf shorts, right. And everything running, running in uh, flat bottom skate shoes. But it's funny. Cause I look back on that kid and I'm like really stoked on that, that kid, right. Like I'm really proud of not letting that eighth grade Eric, I guess, get stopped by all the barriers of entry of running, right? Like where, oh, I need to have these run shoes. I need to be like skinny like this or, or whatnot, right? And I'm not built as a runner, so I probably shouldn't do it. But just had a goal in mind. And my goal is to lose weight and be a different person going into, into high school. So I take you way back then, right? Because that was like my first real memories of going on intentional runs. Um, now, fast forward a few years, you mentioned the mountain biking and the road cycling and all. I think within mountain biking, I was doing some of like the three-hour endurance races and all. So mm -hmm. again, I fast forward a lot of years there, but um, I picked up mountain biking because I had a couple partial meniscectomies. That's the meniscus, right? So your meniscus and your knee have had two surgeries on the left knee, one on the right. And they advised, Hey, you should get into low impact sports. And I thought, Oh, mountain biking's low impact. Incorrect. When you're like launching over a bunch of rocks and stuff, but Hey, I thought it was low impact at the time. And uh, just through mountain biking, met a bunch of, you know, trail runners or endurance athletes that, that, you know, were cycling and running. And I guess all my life too, I kind of just copied what people were doing around me because it seemed cool. And so 
I just picked up, picked up running, got my, I think my first pair of run shoes were like a six and my buddy was running a 10 miler and I thought that was really cool. So I went out tried to run 10 miles, pretty much blew my IT band and then <laughs> took a few uh, weeks to recover from that. But yeah. And then slowly from there, just started falling in love with the process again, more so like, you know, I mean, at that point, wasn't been calling fatty at the bus stop anymore. Luckily college kids are way nicer. Um, but then I think it was more so learning that I just loved the space mentally of getting to the point of just wanting to quit and having to push past that, which I don't think any other sport gets me there faster than running because I'm not built like a runner. Um, I'm not naturally good at it. It takes a lot of freaking work. <laughs> um, so I think that was probably a scatterbrain approach to like where running fits in my life and where my like history of it. But yeah, no, it's been a crazy journey for sure. There's so many things in there and I don't think it was scatterbrained at all. I actually think you communicated that really well. And two things. So one, um, I'm glad you explained what a meniscectomy is because it sounds like something really scary, right? Yeah. Anything Anything sectomy scares me, but anyways, <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> but, um, dude, one of my favorite things about that was when you said I was really proud of, of that kid that mm -hmm. kind of made that decision. And I'll be honest, I really relate to the other piece where you said, Hey, I'm not built like a runner. And I actually feel exactly the same. Like I, when I go in the gym and I lift weights, I see results. I feel like way quicker than when I go run. It's not something that comes really natural. It takes a lot of work. I, I get that, man. And I think there's probably a lot of people that will really relate to you just from what you said right there and be like, all right, I want to know more about Eric because of that. So, so that's how you got going into running. That's how you started. And that's where you got into college where you saw your friend, you know, you pulled on your ASICs and did your 10 miler. So, which is awesome. You blew your IT band out. You've done really well on this at this point. And then because you're still, how old are you now? I'm sorry. I'm 28. Okay, so you're 28. So you're still in my world, very, very young. And what's cool though, is that you then turn the corner after this and you do get exposed to doing some ultras because I believe you paced somebody at the Umstead. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, let me think back. So in 2018, I did that tuna relay from Garner, North Carolina out to the beach. And we chose to do the six man team. So it was an ultra team. Now you're not doing the full, like, I think it came out to around 35 miles total for my legs. You're not doing that in one leg, right? You're doing like a three miler, seven miler, a four miler and all. So uh, I guess it was cool to have the name like ultra team, <laughs> like having ultra in the name there, uh, kind of sparked that interest in me. Like, wait, maybe we could do some of these ultras. And then pretty, I think it was pretty soon after uh, my buddy, Jimmy was doing the Umstead 100, hundred miler here, pretty close. And I paced him, I believe it was between miles 60 to 73, somewhere around there. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember like thinking, okay, th like the, Last person I talked to who ever mentioned pacing someone on 100 said, well, by time, like by then, dude, they're pretty much like you can walk as fast as they can run. Right. And so I'm thinking this guy's just going to be falling apart. And knowing that Jimmy's a strong dude, I've just never seen someone at mile 60 before. And so I start pacing him and he's like, he's real strong. And, but at some point he was like, man, I feel like I just have so much energy. I don't know, man, I could probably just like sprint and just start just drunken. Like, and I was having a hard time keeping, I was like, yo, dude, you need to chill. You should still have like 30, 40 more miles to go, man. And so we were just laughing. And I think in that moment when I saw that though, I was like, 
yo, I need to, I need to figure out if I could do that too. Like if I could get into this same fatigue and exhaustion and just have the same energy to sprint it out at mile 60. <laughs> yeah. I think I answered your question there. I just, mm-hmm. I get so pumped thinking about that moment. Cause it's real trippy, right. In the middle of the night, just headlamps and, um, and just watching a friend grind out as fast as he could. At mile 60. It was uh, so funny. Yeah. No, you, you definitely answered. You're actually going where, where we're planning on going with you anyway. And, and we know that before that you did get exposed to the tuna 200 relay where you and your team set a course record as a relay team. And then in that same race, there was an ultra runner that ran the entire 200 solo. And that kind of blew y'all's minds as you saw them. So that was your first seeing of somebody doing this. And then you had a friend, like you just said, at the Umstead, where you, where you kind of impressed where the fact that like, how do you kind of start sprinting between mile 60 and 72, right? Um, yeah. Because it doesn't make sense to somebody when you're assuming everyone's going to be just basically crawling on the course. And they're not because people hit different, you know, rebound at different times and stuff. And that's one of the cool things about um, the sport itself. Yeah. You then, like you said, COVID's coming around. You're looking to do it, get into a hundred. You can't find one because everybody's getting canceled. But lo and behold, the two to two hundred shows back up. Yeah, truth, truth. So you mentioned earlier um, being on the team, the relay team, right? And then seeing that individual pass through or finish his his solo effort for that. And all of us, like you know, you hear the whispers, right? Like, oh my gosh, this guy just did two hundred miles and. Then we like look at each other like, dude, we've been just grinding out for, I forgot what our final time was like, tw- let's just say 22 hours or something like that. Um, and we are just like, dude, we've been just grinding it out for all these hours. This guy had to start like days ahead of us <laughs> and has been going ever since. And it blew my mind. So yeah, when I was looking up hundred milers to do just because, you know, it's COVID. So we have a lot of training time. So might as well, that's the year to do it. Um, and had all the race to entry deferrals, so couldn't find anything. And that's when I got the email from the um, the series that said, hey, it's time to sign up for the 200 again. And I kind of like grinned to myself. Like I was like in, working from home at the time and like kind of peeked around the room to see if my wife was looking at me. And she's just casually working, right? And I'm over here like scheming up something big. Like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I think I'll, I think I'm going to try this, dude. Like, I think I'll hit 100 if or I know I'll have to do hundred if I do 200, but it just seems so absurd to me, like 200 miles. Cause I haven't, and I'm still pretty green in the ultra scene overall. And I think once I started having some self doubt in that moment, I kind of went back. I mean, now that I reflect on it, I kind of go back to that, that middle school, Eric, right. The, the fatty at the bus stop kid that didn't let things get in the way of making a goal and kind of dipped into that same mentality of like, you know what, dude, like what's the worst that happens? You DNF cool, but you learn so much awesome stuff and push yourself beyond what you ever thought you could do. Yeah. So then start, I kept it pretty, pretty low key, like on the DL and just mentioned it to a few people for a little bit until I kind of wrapped my head around it. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that piece, but Sure. I, I think as a transition into it, one of the things when you emailed and they, they kind of jumped and we we're like, okay, this is perfect for something like running a 200 mile relay solo. You said, don't allow the size of a goal to dictate if you chase after it. Normalize crazy. If you say a goal enough, then it's normalized in your mind and becomes approachable. So we want to know kind of what does that mean to you and how did that play into that process? I think you just kind of started touching mm-hmm. on it there, right? As you were thinking through it, but talk yeah. through that real quick. 
Yeah, definitely. So I think that concept didn't really hit me until probably halfway through training. Because as you tell people what you're training for, you get the typical course. Like, I mean, I'm sure you guys get to, you're running a 50 K. Oh my gosh. That's insane. Like how long did you run on Saturday? It was 25 miles. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so everyone's reacting that same way. And so at some point you're just kind of numb to that reaction. It's, I mean, I still think I mean, doing 25 miles on a Saturday, that's huge. That's awesome. Right. And so we have to give ourselves some credit there. I think that's really important. But then over time of just saying like, yeah, I'm doing a 200 miler, right? Like at first, like you get kind of nervous telling people that. And then as time goes on, you just like almost like no emotion. Like, what are you training for? 200 miles. Whoa. Yeah, man. Dude, how was your day? You know, like you just <laughs> because it's, it's just so normal now, right? It's like when you say a word enough and it isn't really a word anymore, that's kind of what that distance became to me. Not that like, oh, I know I can do it, right? Like you had I had to dig into some weird parts of my head to have some of the encouragement and confidence, yet keep some doubt to drive you to train hard. Um, but nonetheless, just saying it over and over, right, just became like no factor. That's just what we're doing. And um, But yeah, so that's kind of the process is really just not giving into the wow factor like at yeah. first it's, it's cool right like it's awesome that we get to do these huge distances but if you do or if you do give into that wow factor at times like it becomes intimidating and then almost unapproachable like sometimes even like i know a lot of people my age right now like buying a house or something like oh i don't know like if i can do this this and like no no dude just like just go full send into it man <laughs> because what's the worst that's gonna happen you're like your offer gets rejected, dude, come on. Like, I don't know. I'm talking about house buying right now, but, um, <laughs> but it's but appropriate. Like, it's yeah. appropriate because it's any goal, right? Yeah. It's any goal that seems huge and difficult. It could be somebody's first 50 K somebody's first 50 mile or hundred mile. It could be their first house. It could be a 250. It could be anything. It could be the fact they're trying to figure out if they want to have a kid, like yeah. whatever that goal is, it feels so frightening is you begin to just say it enough and you normalize it. And then you're like, man, eh, it's just what we're doing. I think the key piece of that is because as you were talking through it kind of clicked for me and thinking about kind of my journey and as things have changed, I think a key piece is you were taking the steps along the way as well. Mm -hmm. It's not like you just talked about it enough till it was like, Oh, I guess I'm right. going to go do a 200 cause right. that's normal, but you go run and then you run more and then you start clicking off things that at one time sounded scary. Right. And as that happens, even though the goal is still as big, when you talk about it, I think it start to accept. And that goes with any of the other mm -hmm. things you just mentioned that first you first you research, then you start taking the first step. Right. And so, yeah, I actually really like that, that uh, it becomes approachable. And I think that's a good way of saying it. It also normalizes each of the step in, steps in between. It's why running the 25 miles in the process of, of saying I'm going to do a 200 is it's trivial. Um, it's it's very small in the grand scheme of things because well, that's just what we're doing, and it's it's accepting each of those steps along the way too. It's it's a solid mindset. Yeah, totally. And I will say, I've had my butt handed to me <laughs> during some training runs because I got too comfortable with like, oh, it's just twenty miles. I went out and would have like the worst twenty miles of my life because I didn't treat it in a way of like, okay, yeah, it's just twenty miles, right? Been there, done that. But I still need to prep. I still need to make sure I have what I need to get my like brain in a good spot for that. Go to bed and all the you know check all the boxes there. But yeah, you definitely 
it's a fine balance of being like overconfident with that goal. Right. And also like humble enough to recognize your position that you're in, make a plan and get there, right. Execute and get there. Yeah. But yeah, definitely have had my butt handed to me uh, by getting too into the, like been there, done that mentality. So I'm going to interrupt. So how do you, how do you handle that? How, because you have your butt handed to you in a 20 mile run and you know that you're um, determined to do a 200 mile race solo and you know that at 20 miles i'm dying and i still have to somehow pull off 180 miles and all my friends and everybody's coming like how do you reset yeah so i know we'll talk more about the last main standing here in a little bit but what's nice about the like the 200 miles right that's a set distance mm-hmm. so you can chunk that up and get it done right in smaller increments now that's also like you know that's the distance i'm doing today put air quotes around today because it's multi-days um but for 20 miles right you know okay i have 20 miles today so it's kind of like the last rep right maybe you're doing pull-ups and you get to like i'm gonna do five pull-ups 10 pull-ups whatever that last rep is hard right but what if you just said i'm gonna do 12 pull-ups and you hit 10 and that 10th is actually easier than what the 10th would have been if you said i'm only doing 10 Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so i think sometime with those 20 milers i just kept like I guess the bigger picture in mind from a training perspective, they're like, okay, race day. If I feel like crap, check, whatever, we'll get it done because there's still just a set distance on the 20 mile days. There's just 20 miles. So felt like crap, got home, had my little pity party, right? Got the food I needed, got rejuvenated again and got back out there the next day. So I think it's just recognizing you know, some days you just have bad days, right? unfortunately sometimes that's on race days but Mm -hmm. being okay with it and there's still something to learn in those moments too like you still got the 20 miles done even if it sucked you know and so you hold on to that mentality because mile 180 to 200 that talk about a sucky 20 miles right you'll dip back into that same space then i think it's an important point though because i have definitely questioned in the past when you have one of those bad days Mm -hmm. of oh what does this mean And, and you can spiral really quick but I've definitely also come to accept now that sometimes you just have bad days. It doesn't mean that I'm not in shape. It doesn't have to be that I ate bad. It could be a number of things and the day just didn't go my way. And I think it's important for people to understand that just like an ultra, you're going to hit a low. You know what I mean? There's going to be these ups and downs. Some training days are going to be awesome. And you come back feeling like a champ and sometimes it's just going to suck, you know, and that's just part of the deal. So I, I appreciate you talking through that. So let's transition to the actual relay itself because we've got questions, right? Sure. Jump, jumping into, especially not having a hundred mile behind you. I think that's pretty rare. We hear about people jumping up to a hundred mile for their first kind of maybe skipping a 50 mile. I don't know anybody personally that has jumped the hundred mile distance to go straight for a 200, right? Well, he hadn't run an ultra before. Well, I think you... Yeah, so there was what was called the Yeti like eight miles every four hours for 24 hours essentially so you did 50 miles over 24 hours 50 okay yeah but that was the only ultra other than like the relay team that i I had done so yeah that was that was kind of tough because in my head of course when you get that email for the 200 like well dude i haven't even done a 50k Right. I barely even did a 50 miler, you know, I haven't done this whole distance at once. So yeah. So to your point, signs up, not having run an ultra, Correct. if I remember correctly, you're kind of a goal setting visualization type guy. Is that correct? Yeah. Love visualization, man. Okay. So tool. 
So talk to us about that because we want to know, we got the questions, right? Okay. How did you train? I want to know if you set your own training plan, if you had somebody else, but obviously now you've got this giant thing. We just talked about normalized crazy. Sure. What were the, some of those specific steps and, and specifically goal setting and visualization? Cause I, I think it's important for not only just us, but everybody listening that may be thinking, my God, I signed up for my first 50 K. Yeah. Like what are some of the helpful things that I can do? And we haven't talked about that piece as much. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, So first things first was a running coach. I'd never had a run coach before. And since the 200 was actually in partnership with uh, my company bandwidth or my employer, uh, they, or I guess the founder and the CEO, right, is also an ultra athlete. And so his immediate advice was, dude, get a coach, right? like he'll help you break it down from there. So kind of went on the the coach hunt and um, was very fortunate to work with Caleb Masland uh, at Team Wicked Bonk Proof Coaching out in Boone, North Carolina. Um, awesome dude, awesome company. And so, yeah, it, it I mean, that was tough because I almost was like, hey man, like I got this kind of audacious goal, right? I don't know if you even take on clients that are doing 200s, let alone never done a, an ultra and want to do a 200. I recognize I was coming in with this really audacious statement. And one thing I didn't mention was I was also wanting to go for the record, uh, which was at that time, 53 hours uh, or 53 and a half hours. So not only I was like, no ultra, I want to do a 200 miler and I want to go for the record. So he was like, yeah, dude, let's do it. So, you know, if someone's willing to say, yeah, man, let's go like, like all right, cool. Like you're my type of guy. Uh, so uh, working with Caleb was awesome, man. It, it really showed me a lot of the classic, like easy days, easy, hard days, hard mentality. Whereas I didn't have the accountability before. And you just become the classic zone three gray zone athlete, which I'm all for. <laughs> I'm totally that guy still. <laughs> uh, I got to give a shout out to everyone going a little too hard. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it is so important to really hone in on the intentionality of each workout. So I think that just helped me recognize that. And uh, within training, we actually took more of an approach of doing a lot of uh, my like Saturday runs would be split long runs or medium mm-hmm. long runs. So instead of doing like 28 miles, right, maybe you're doing two 14s or, um, you know, instead of 20, you do, or 22, you do like a 10 and a 12. Uh, so we would get the mileage, the time on the feet, but also that element of like run, stop, get tight, be tired, don't want to go back out there again. All right, time to go do another 10 or 12 mile effort. And so that was extremely helpful. And when I was considering a uh, training plan beforehand, I had like wrote up like, it was like eight months before, right? So I wrote up this huge training plan and it basically, that described all of that. <laughs> None of that was in line with what we ended up doing. Um, thankfully so, because I would have been horribly overtrained, um, probably super injured. Um, but yeah, so a lot more like understanding a consistent schedule, right? Like, I've probably not been the most like consistent person in my life, but it was really nice to finally have consistency from, all right, these days are my easy days. Here's my like more hill or interval speed workout day. Saturday, you know, that's pretty consistent based on just getting larger volume in. And then Sunday, an easier time run. And also having that just allowed me to kind of, I don't know, just like reshape my day-to-day life to, 
make training fit in and make life fit into training. So it was um, easier to navigate because of course going into something that big, right? Like my wife was thinking, Oh gosh, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> right? Like you're only going to be running. You're always going to be falling asleep on the couch at eight, which I definitely still do uh, when watching a movie, right? Like you're not going to be present for Saturday morning, right? That's always tough. Consistently gone Saturday morning, waking up that vibe. But by having that consistency allows you to plan your life kind of around that. Um, not saying everything involves or revolves around training, but you can plan to be where you should be and where, where it's important to be. And you can adjust as follows. I think you guys probably feel that too through training as well. But it was just something really cool to learn throughout that process that I didn't think I was, you know, I didn't foresee learning that in this. In tandem with Coach Caleb, I worked with a nutritionist, Aaron Hogue. Uh, he's an endurance mountain biker. And we really dialed in uh, a nutrition that was good for me. I have what's called hypothyroidism. So underactive thyroid based on something called Hashimoto's, <laughs> which the name of that thing sounds so sick. It sounds like samurai, but it's definitely not. It's autoimmune disease. So it's definitely not as cool as a samurai, but it just means that like my pituitary gland is like kind of like fighting itself and causing my thyroid to work harder and therefore or i guess it's sorry it's being underactive not a doctor so whatever things are going on in there that shouldn't be going on um and so we we're able to dial in a, a good nutrition plan i guess like maximizing carbon take and all but also navigating hashimoto's and hypothyroidism and all so it's it really cool to see those kind of unite uh to make for consistent solid quality training I know that people listening are, are probably thinking to themselves, that's a lot of resources he accessed in order to pull all that off. But I think, yeah. I think a take-home message for anybody that's listening, more than likely is running right now as they're listening, because that's a lot of people are doing um, as they listen to our podcast, is really just the, the question of, is the run that I'm on right now, what's the intention behind it? Um, yeah. And we're hearing that a lot recently in some of the other guests we've had as well, is that it helps us to not be this gray zone athlete if we can understand, right, that each run has a purpose. And it kind of gives a little bit more emphasis of why we're out there at that moment. Um, otherwise, we're just running for the sake of running. And we question whether or not we want to get out the door and put our shoes on some days. But if we can set that intention at the start and even understand in the middle of the run why we have that, I think it helps. And so regardless if you have a coach um, or a nutrition coach, you can at least ask yourself, do you know why you're running today? And I think it's good. I think it's a good point. And uh, to me, that really plays into what you were talking about the, in terms of having uh, the routine and being able to mm -hmm. focus on things outside of running. Mm -hmm. Because if you're intentional about what you're doing, then you can kind of check that box and move on versus if you're like, well, did I do enough? Did I not do enough? And it's I've in the past found myself not being present, right? So it sucks sometimes if you're missing that morning. But if you're missing that morning, then you come back and you're not present. That's way worse you know, for the family or whoever you're kind of hanging out with. So I agree. If you're intentional, mm -hmm. you can check that box, know that you did what you needed to, and then you can kind of mentally move on. The other thing that, um, and I'm actually, I'm not doing the distance that you were talking about, but I've really been doing a lot of split runs. Part of mine was scheduled, right? It was like, oh, I already get up early. If I have to start working 10, 12 miles in the morning, I don't know how to make some of that work. And I just went, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to split. I'll do eight in the morning. I'll do four later or whatever. That's worked really well for me. And it is also placed in the way you're talking about of not overdoing it. Because to your point, 
if you've run earlier that day or something, you start back up, it is actually way easier to go, you know what? I'm just going to keep it like slow. Cause your body tells you, Hey, by the way, you already did this today. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I think that's a really good tip for anybody listening, especially if you're dealing with schedule stuff, don't be afraid to split it up um, or talk to your coach about it. If you're working with a coach, you know, but I thought that was a really good point. So the two to 200, this relay that begins, I think it's uh, for everybody else in the world. It starts, I think on a Friday um, or something <laughs> to that effect. And um, like you said, it starts in Garner, North Carolina, which is basically the middle of the state up near Raleigh and goes all the way to the coast. I think it ends in Emerald Isle area. Is that correct? Yeah, Atlantic Beach. So like 20 Atlantic miles Beach. north, but you're right there. Yeah. yeah, comes down all the way to the coast of North Carolina. So it's 200 miles. And for the relay runners, what I looked up, they expect that you should plan to average a pace of 10 minutes per mile is what they recommend for the relay runners. However, when they have a solo idiot, I mean, solo runner that's out there, <laughs> they give you a little bit more leeway and they allow you to start on a different day. And I'd like you to kind of share for those listening what your start was like with all the other runners that were present. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think I got more and more amped on the fact that I was starting a day earlier than everyone. <laughs> There's no like fanfare to it, right? Like we would literally just text or call or I'd have my crew text or call the race director be like, yeah, he started at this time. And so it was fun. I mean, some uh, folks from the company came out. I was really excited. I actually ran the first mile with my wife. And so that was uh, that was just really cool. It was like the beginning of such a cool journey to get to do that with her. And so she peeled off and we joked that, uh, that I couldn't come home unless I finished. So I kind of held on to that one. <laughs> like, oh, no, she's not going to let me in the house if I don't don't finish this thing. Um, but yeah, I so said the start really was just, I don't know, it just felt like another Saturday run, to be honest. I think I like the fact that it wasn't all like blown up, like big deal, this and that. Cause you, I mean, I was getting like the pre-race nerves and all, but it was much more mellow because it was so low key mm-hmm. um, and just made it again, seem like another day where you had, Hey, this is my mission today. I run 200 miles. It's just the training plan. Let's do, let's go, <laughs> you know, and of course, it's not just another day as you get going, but um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I saw the promo video that your company had put together or the recap video, one of them that they had put together of it. And it has you at the start line with a small group of people, friends and family that um, are just wishing you off. And then I laughed because I thought, God, that's kind of anticlimactic if you've been training for the past year, basically, to get ready for this thing. And there's no one there but you and your friends and family, like you said. But it's like starting your own run. So at some point, though, other runners started showing up um, behind you, right? No, it's actually, we didn't see any runners until the island, which is pretty dope. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. No, we didn't. I, pr- I probably saw more stray dogs chasing me and <laughs> dumps and people like getting kind of swervy on the road because it's all back roads, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, it's also like net downhill. So it's probably the easiest 200 out there is net downhill, back roads, concrete, just gravel grinding all the way to the beach. But yeah, we didn't, we didn't see any other runners until to the island as in they didn't catch you uh yeah so not to like i guess spoiler alert for the next part of the conversation but i did beat the record and so it came in at 51 and a half hours and the way we had timed it i know we were like a bit ahead because i didn't think i was going to get there until more of that 53 hour mark mm-hmm. just beat it by like 30 minutes kind of thing so we were actually pretty pretty far ahead of our own schedule um so i think now, you know, granted, I say we didn't see any runners till the end. That was like, we still had 20 miles to go. And at the speed I was going, that was going to take like five hours to do, right? So there's still a lot of time left for mm-hmm. those 
team relays to come in and just blaze past you. That's true, though, because if you think at 51 hours, if you subtract 24 and you're looking at a 27-hour finisher for the relay, and I think they were running in like 30 hours with most of the relay teams. When I looked at it, that makes sense. So yeah. it's 209 miles, right? The information I have is that you're at 209 miles. And so I did quick math while we were sitting here because I didn't do it before. So 51, call it 51 and a half hours. It's a sub 15 minute pace for 209 miles. Yeah. So my crew is definitely telling me like, dude, you need to walk for some of the first miles. I was like, dude, I'm just, I'm so stoked to be out here right now, but just maintain a steady walk run pace. I wasn't like staring at the clock saying it's been two minutes running. Now I need to walk or anything. I just, you know, picked a sign said, all right, that stop sign. We're going to run to it. And then we would trot along and then, all right, let's walk for a second. So you just keep doing that. I planned it out to have breaks about every, let's call it nine to 13 miles where I would take between a 10 minute break to 45 minute break. So a lot of 10 minute breaks and then a few, I think it was like two 45 minute breaks and one longer break that I ended up doing about an hour 15 with an hour of sleep. So it was just I mean, it's kind of like the last main standing kind of vibes, right? Where you just run for a bit and then just chill out, recuperate for a second and just repeat, right? You just one foot in front of the other. But <laughs> that means that pace is faster because there's a, that's, a that's lot. exactly what I was going to say is when you start talking about 45 minute breaks and stuff in there, because you're right. So last man, it would be just a little bit faster pace, but like less than a minute per month, yeah, right? Sure. And so then you start talking about taking these breaks. I'm like, so you must have been when you were running, running consistently, and you must have been like moving. You weren't running, obviously, 13 minute pace, 12 minute pace. You, what, when you were, when your feet were moving, what pace were you running? Yeah. When I was running, let's call it between 8 30 to 9 30. And then uh-huh. you'd walk a bit. So it came out to be an average, like earlier on the race, maybe like the, you know, 10 ish minute average, 11 minute mile average. And then it started turning into that 12, 13. Um, I will say looking back at the video that you were referencing, I watched myself running in the last like 15 miles. And I remember thinking like, dude, I felt like I was doing like seven minute miles. Right. And my like crew beside me was like walking. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) gosh, I feel like I was getting so much effort to slowly just deteriorate from there. But yeah, I mean, most of my training, like, kind of cruised right in that 8.30 pace, so it felt weird trying to run slower, just because I had dialed in that gait, right, um, that cadence and everything, it was just kind of, I was just built or, like, trained for that 8.30 and dialed that in. I said, I'm blown away. That's impressive. <laughs> Especially because most people do train faster than they would even in a hundred right and so you end up slowing down and we've had that conversation mechanics but you just did it (laughs) that's the part that i'm like having a hard time he likes the gray zone yeah well that's right i mean at the end of the day we can overcomplicate running so much right it's just putting on the shoes and getting out there right being intentional like okay go easy today or go hard and stuff but like you know what man like this pace feels good i feel comfortable having a conversation all right, it's time to walk. Now let's keep running again. And you just dial it in and get it done. Sometimes like in conversations, I want to pretend that there's more magic to it. Like, you know, really like sometimes at the end of the day, you're like, people are like, how'd you do that? You're like, dude, I just, I just ran. (laughs) Like, I don't know. But but it tells me that your training was on point. Yeah, exactly. 
Like that's the big takeaway for me. I'm like, okay, now I want to get a look back at your training miles. Right. But I'm sure we could talk a long time about that, but so I'm imagining that there was high moments, low moments. What were some of the moments that stick out as like the highest, what are the most memorable parts of a 200 mile run? Sure. Most memorable, probably all the like hard moments <laughs> uh, is <laughs> dude out the freaking gate, man. So I deal with a lot of cramping and I think it was like mile 35 dude like i started getting some some bad hammy and calf cramps and i remember thinking like good gosh dude i have 170 miles more to go like is this really how this is about to go down and even the crew was like i could see it in their eyes like oh no like do we need to prepare for this to be like probably one of the worst dnfs like this publicized event to the company i'm like dude he only made it 50 miles <laughs> so Luckily, I was, so I was running with my uh, my buddy Chad at that point, and um, he's an elite runner, but he was able to really like dial me back down. Like, yo, dude, we're good. Let's get you some food. There was the first unplanned break I had to take, and I think that was hard for me to to swallow because I was like, oh my gosh, it's so early, and I'm already having to take unplanned breaks. Any like anytime I don't uh, save now, right? Like that's going to affect the end goal of breaking that record. And honestly, it was just took a moment, take the unplanned break, right? Get yourself reset. Took like five or 10 minutes, got some um, things like salt and vinegar Pringles, a hot shot and all like water, just kind of recuperate for a sec. And then got back there and I had zero more, zero cramps for the rest of the race. So I just needed like a second to kind of reset and kind of get my mind right and dial in the walk runs. Cause up until then, I think I was just trying a little harder than, than I knew I should. So I think it was a blessing in disguise, right? Um, so then fast forward a little, a little further. So Jimmy and the guy that I paced with in the Umstead, he told me, bro, you need to train your walking muscles, right? Like you're going to be walking a lot more you think. So guess who never trained their walking muscles? This guy. <laughs> so by about mile 80, I started feeling this like tug in the tendon that runs down into your feet, right? Your interior tibialis tendon is what it's called. Basically that shin tendon. And uh, I was like, this is kind of weird. So whatever, I'll, I'll just shove that away. I heard it was Chad Wright in a different podcast, you know, to don't give pain a voice, right? So I was really holding on to that concept. And then about, I think it was about mile 115, it was at a point where I was like, dude, I'm legit injuring myself right now. Like mm -hmm. something's going on. This was the second day, right? It was starting to get a little warmer on the second day and I found out something about myself in this moment that I didn't know, but it's kind of like when the going gets tough, I'll turn to someone else and I'll try to like convince them to let me out of it. Right. I can't make the decision myself. Right. I don't want to be the one that says I'm tapping out, but I'll look to someone else to give me the, the clearance, the okay to get out of it. Right. So I'm looking at Jimmy. I'm like, dude, I think I'm, I think I'm really like hurting myself. This could have like a long-term effect. Right? I'm sitting here convincing him that I'm hurting myself. The dude just goes, have you taken ibuprofen yet? And I was like, no. He's like, dude, let's just, you know, we're going to get you some ibuprofen. I was like, no, dude, I think I'm really, I think I'm really like, hurt. he's like, no, no, no. Uh, I had that injury and I couldn't walk very much after that. But hey, you know, let's get ibuprofen and we'll be good. And I was like, okay, fine, fine. We got ibuprofen and like smashed a Pop-Tart and I was starting to feel pretty decent. But that was the one moment that I wanted to quit, right? Was I got to a point in my head where I was turning and convincing Jimmy that I was having some type of serious injury. And I would actually have kind of like 
different faces going through my head of like, if I choose to quit right now, like there's this person I'm letting down, this person I'm letting down. And it became a little bit more about those other people than just me. It became like the community of people that got me to the start line and of the people that were keeping up with the race. So got the ibuprofen. And at that point, the team was like, dude, you haven't even slept yet. Let's get you an hour of sleep. Right. And so they locked me up in the van, got the hour of sleep. I don't even remember like waking up. I just remember like all of a sudden, like being conscious, putting my socks on and being like groaning because the pain was like so much to do any plantar flexion, right? Pulling your toes up. And then just, it took me like 10 minutes of walking to kind of loosen the muscles up again <laughs> enough to run. And while I was walking, you see, well, one, there's a crazy dude on a line, like the power lines, like real high up. And we see a storm rolling in. And I look over to my pacer Miller or uh, Ryan Miller. I was like, dude, what is this guy doing? He's about to like storm on us. About say, about the time I said that, a hailstorm rolled in. And we started getting pelted by probably, I think it was about penny-sized, maybe dime-sized pieces of hail at like a 45-degree angle, man. It started ripping through on us. And the van uh, rolls up beside me. And they're like, yo, dude, you need, you want to get in? You want to like just chill a sec and like wait this out? And I just remember being so energized by having like this really deep moment with myself and then getting to sleep and coming back and be like, no, this is what I signed up for. And uh, my buddy Seth looked back and was like, dude, you signed up for this, man. It's time to get hard, bro. Let's go. And so just ran it out. So anyway, that was long-winded, but it was really cool to have this really low moment for myself where I'm contemplating a DNF just a little over halfway, right? As I'm starting to think about, I have 80 miles to go. Up until then, I was counting up, right? Oh, mile 80, mile 90, mile 100. Mm. At that point at halfway, I started counting down. And that was not the right move because now everything seemed really far away. I was like, I have 80 miles to go, dude. I've never even run 80 miles. Well, I did just now, but like <laughs> never before. So I had that deep moment where I wanted to quit, turn around, get pelted with with hail. And it, it was that was the spark I needed, man. And there was no other moment in the rest of that race that I wanted to quit. I wanted to be done, but I didn't want to quit it. So do you think that if your friend gave you permission to quit, you would have quit? I think I would have, yeah. I think well, we can dive into this with the last man standing because I found a trend about about that hour, that hour 29.30 and about that mileage, right? Let's call it 120. Um, I found a, a breaking point, not my limit, but I found a breaking point that I need to reinforce there. So we'll, we'll put a pin in that, come back to it. But yeah, I think I, I think I would have, that would have been when I had given up. We can dance there now. I love that he called it a breaking point, not my limit. I think it's great. I think we should dance there. <laughs> All right. So we're going to, I'm going to use another one of your quotes as we transition to last man. So we know you did the two to 200. You just did the last man standing ultra 29 laps at 121 miles. Here's the quote. You said, define your drive, whether you subscribe to a taking souls mindset from Goggins or a joyous free flowing mindset from DeWalter find your own drive and lean into that. I freaking love that. Define your drive. Is that part of what took you into saying, okay, let's take on a, a last man. Cause obviously 200, like you said, has a finish line and a last man doesn't until it does. But yeah. So the, <laughs> I love that until it does. <laughs> um, so my, my buddy Seth, that was on the crew in the 200, uh, 
well, first we did a full like panel recap with the company because it was promoted with the company. And one thing he said that stuck out to me was he watched me find that weird spot where we're like, he wasn't out there taking souls. Right. But it wasn't like this happy experience. Like Eric had to define his own, his own drive there. And I was like, well, that's, that's pretty deep. And I've kind of started to navigate that a little bit more. Whereas you go into, or you go from the 200, which was against myself in the clock. And then you have a last thing standing where it's, yeah, it's against yourself, but you also, you got some people you're trying to take down, right? Like you're trying to be the last one standing. And so you really have to toe this line of, okay, I gotta have that competitive nature, man. Like I gotta lean into that. Like, oh, we're, we're gonna, I'm gonna rake you through the coals, man. Or like, you know, that, that type of mentality. Yeah. Also the really encouraging, just, I'm so happy to be out here. Like, this is so cool. You know, like I'm just out in the woods at 2 a.m. in the middle of Maine. <laughs> like, this is just really awesome. And so there's a spectrum of it, right? Like, I don't think if you land on the Goggin side, taking souls that like, that's bad, right? Go be that hard dude. That's awesome. Get after it. And if you're just the happy-go-lucky DeWalter, right? Like, I feel like that's the opposite. And I couldn't think of any more of an analogy <laughs> to describe the opposite ends of that ultra-running spectrum. But yeah, so... The last man standing really interests me because I was like, I want to go find out that if I'll quit, if I was alone. And so this one, this one's actually really tough for me because another theme that I've been considering lately has been, you know, being so proud of your accomplishments, but living under a veil of failure, right? Cause I'm really stoked. I got out there did 29 laps, 29 hours, right? 120 ish miles but I failed, right? The mission is to go be the last man standing. So you kind of stay hungry from that element, but stay so encouraged and proud of your accomplishments. So yeah, the last man standing for me when I was deciding races for 2022, that define your drive stuck with me. So I could, I don't know, just learn more about myself and in what area or like at what times do I need to dig in to what personality right what drive and if that's in the middle of the night where you have to just yell out like in a punisher yell right like get into that deep zone or when you're just so stoked to be running beside someone and get to hear about their life if you you can be someone that does both so what drew you to last man in the first place was it the format was it just a convenient spot on the calendar like what took you there oh actually yeah it was going into the 200s when harvey lewis set the record so he did what, like 300, it was 380 something, 384, I think. Can't do the quick math on what's divisible by 4.2, but uh, it's, <laughs> so I, yeah, when I heard that, it was right before the 200. And so one, I was thinking, oh, if there's a dude out there, you know, I think he's an English teacher, right? Could do, can do that. I could do a 200. And so that kind of sparked the interest long-term looking into the last man standing format, especially because the 4.2 rest a little bit. 4.2 miles rest a little bit over and over. It's kind of similar how I navigated the 200 naturally. Uh, so I figured that would flow pretty well. Yeah. So I want to get into the details for everybody listening. I'm sure by now, if, if you've been listening for a while, you probably know, cause we've talked about it several times, but so the backyard ultra format is what the last man is. It's for approximately 4.2 miles, just under every hour on the hour, which the math is hundred miles in 24 hours. 
So the rule is you have to start the lap on the hour and then you have to finish the lap within the hour. If you have extra time, you get to rest. So it's not a speed race. It's definitely an endurance race and it's kind of the great equalizer in terms of male, female, fast, slow, a lot of those different things. So I love it. It's what, it's actually what I'm training for right now. <laughs> you can see Jeff's face. It's not, <laughs> it's not his deal, <laughs> but I like to take my breaks when I need them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested though, from a mindset going into something like that, you finished 200 miles at almost the same type of pacing. You just said your goal was to be the, you know, the last person standing. And I don't know what the competition was, was like there, but what was your goal going in? Like, what do, did you have something, a number, was there anything like that? Or did you just say one more lap? I had that question a lot come up of like, well, like what's your, what goal are you going for? I said, dude, I'm going for the last man. Like if there's someone else out there, I want to be out there. And that's what I had to lean into while training, because if I set that number, just like we were talking about reps earlier, if you're on that pull-up bar doing 10 reps, when you get to 10, you're probably done. So I didn't even want subconsciously to have a number that I would bail out at. During the race, I started telling myself, just make it to 150, dude, just make it to 150. And slowly it fell apart from there. But yeah, I think... Uh, that was actually really important during training was maintaining the mindset of if your goal is to go be the last man standing, don't tell yourself a different goal, you know, and maybe that's why I'm leaning more into this. Well, I failed my mission. Right. And I'm okay in that space, but it did help me look at whenever I sat down, you know, get some food or whatever. And I'd see other people lining up. It's like, well, someone else is up there. Let's go. You know, it's time to get back up and get out there too, because they can do it. Competition was awesome. Actually, so the winner, Ed Clifford, absolute beast. I hope he listens to this. He is an animal. Um, I think he's 57. And when I say that, a lot of people are like, well, 57. But like, I'm very green, right, as a 28-year-old. And the experience that Ed and, you know, the guys out there that were just in the Backyard Ultra Championship have are just insane. And so it was cool to go neck and neck with Ed. You know, he had won the previous year's last man standing race. So it was really cool to be his assist for his second win. My downfall, I'll say downfalls, multiple of them came to a uh, caloric, just, I was in a caloric deficit. Mm -hmm. uh, I stopped wanting much food like halfway through. And so the crew had actually had a whiteboard there riding the calorie count on. And at one point I was like, guys, I'm not at like 6,000 calories. They're like, no, you just like, haven't really been taking in a lot of food. So we said, screw that. And we've been just trying to get you to eat anything. <laughs> so there was that, um, I was starting to get pretty dehydrated. So a little bit dizzy, not like super dizzy, just had to like do that, like deep shut of your eyes, like a deep blink and kind of regain focus a lot. And then I didn't use the bathroom for 29 hours. So that's always a fun, fun thing. And then I started getting some man, that, that front shin pain, right? Mm. That interior tip. So that wasn't too bad. I was able to push through it, but on the bottom of my foot, there was a muscle that I ended up straining and it's like right up under the knuckle of your big toe, like the ball of your foot. So every time I hit the ground and then every time I pushed off, it just hurt so much. So fast forward hour 29, right? Or I guess it's hour 30 going on that 30th lap. Went out there. If I could go back, I would change this. Actually, on 29th lap, I came in and I said, guys, I almost had a poop in the woods. If I have to do it on this next lap, it might be my last one. 
And I think I spoke it into existence, man, because went out there one mile in, dipped out to the woods, did my thing, came back out, had 45 minutes, three miles. Doable, right? That's a 15-minute mile. We like we could do that. Started to run, and immediately whatever the foot pain I had was just amplified. And I think that was also amplified by sleep deprivation and just dehydration and everything, all the factors combined. So I started trying to run on the side of my right foot to get rid of the pain, started hurting my left hip doing that. I was like, screw that. I'm going to limp. And maybe like two minutes later, it was like, yeah, I'm not going to make it in time. So I, I gave up in that moment, right? Because I ended up only coming in two minutes after the timeout, right? That, that hour mark. So I could have made it, but that's one element. If I did make it, I would have had to immediately start again. And I don't think I was in a place I could take in that. I just needed a little bit of time and you don't have it. Uh, so yeah, all those factors, like the, ultimately it's all excuses. Cause that's all stuff that I, even though I'm comfortable now, right. And in hindsight, it's 2020, you can, you can talk about the pain cave when you're comfort or comfortable all you want, but those are all things that I think I spoke into existence by saying, that's going to be my last lap. If I have to go to the bathroom, and I, I gave myself the way out. So when you were on lap 30, you came in two minutes behind. That's pretty close, right? That's not too far off, which means at some point on that lap, I know you'd already kind of given yourself the excuse, but you had already convinced yourself, I'm going to go slow enough to not make it. Yeah. So I could have done more walking and just a little bit of running, got in with some, you know, a few minutes to spare and kept doing that. But it was just the knowing that I was going to have to go again mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. after I got back, that mm -hmm. got to me. And the thing that I said going into this race too, was I wouldn't choose to quit. I would just time out, right? Like I would have to be out there and miss the cutoff time in order to be out of this race. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, looking back, it's hard to take ownership of these things. Right. Cause you have that goal going, you're so like steadfast on like, I, I'm going to go down swinging, right? Like I, you, the only way I'm going to be out of this race is if I time out, well, I went out and I kind of half was half swinging. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm limping now. Right. Like I'm going to miss this cutoff and now I'm going to be done. Like, so it's really hard to go back and chew on that. Um, but I learned so much by getting out there and doing it and like, so many things I'll do differently next time. And I think I'm learning more about, like I said earlier, that breaking point, right? That hour 29, 30, that mile 120 that I need to know to reinforce that breaking point so that I can keep pushing on next time. The interesting thing about the format. So I've done four backyards Heck and yeah. I, I always said the same thing, just line up, right? Like that's the one rule, just line up and don't time out. I've refused to go out twice out of the four, right? <laughs> yep. and, uh, one, I got lucky enough to, to win. And the other one, I did exactly what you said. I went out, but I knew full well that that was my last lap, mm -hmm. right? And so it's kind of like, ah, I played by the rule, but to your point, sure. mentally, I was, I was done. And the interesting thing about the format is it gives every hour, it gives you the opportunity to, even if you line up and go, Versus a hundred miler where you, are you really going to sit there and wait for the cutoff to happen? Mm -hmm. But you can pretend mm -hmm. to go do your loop, right? But the, it's that mental battle. So I think it's super fascinating that way. We are getting short on time, but 
I want to know real quick about Brotree and Death Rock. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Sorry, I just need a second to laugh at that. <laughs> oh man, so, so I've had some interesting experiences. Don't on cry. My own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brotree, man, it's my tree. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so sleep deprivation is funny, dude. During the 200, I didn't really have any hallucinations. That's the first time I fell asleep while moving. Like, I put my hand on my pacer's shoulder. I was like, yo, I just need a sec. And then started dozing. Like, no, you don't. Let's go, dude. Let's go. So you doze off. This one I didn't doze off during, but I did start just embracing kind of my own inner weirdness <laughs> of like, you know, every lap is going to be tougher and tougher so i need to figure out things on each lap that are kind of encouraging right that can kind of get me amped so after mile two there's this tree that had the same stump right and then split off into it was like there's two bros this is bro tree so every time uh i saw this tree with the same stump that split into two i would always give it a good little piece like what's up bro tree and just keep <laughs> rolling by um it was it was my tree dude I mean, I didn't start till probably mile like 75, um, just something that I needed to like encourage me when I, when I saw it. And then death rock actually is legit. Cause it was a rock that was maybe like it's spikes up towards you. And it was at mile, maybe like three, two, five. And I knew like at nighttime, dude, that thing is going to, that thing will take me down. Like RIP my ankle if I hit that. So it became death rock. So every time I would I would point at it and be like, not today, death rock. And then keep running past it. It was so fun. And so after, yeah, after my about like that 75-ish just became my thing, man. It was so pumped to say what up to Bro Tree and not hit Death Rock. It's a good tip though. It's a good tip. You should name everything. Yeah. I mean, it gets you're alone. It gets weird out there. So you just embrace it, man. Um, I was seeing a lot of people in the woods, which was weird because there's a lot of shadows. And so the a little bit of hallucination, I kept thinking I was seeing tree houses. Mm -hmm. So tree houses and people, I thought the people were taking pictures. So sometime I would kind of pose and be like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's a little weird. Hopefully no one saw that. <laughs> Keep rolling. <laughs> All right. What's one thing that you said? Uh, well, let me let me rephrase my question. You said that that there's a few things that you learned about yourself during during the race and things that you're going to kind of do next time that'll be different, right? Number one thing that you're going to do different next time. Sure. Um, on the nutrition front, real food, man. I had a whole lineup of like classic goose box bars, and then had a bunch of other like decent real food. It was kind of more junkish food, but like between chips and fruit and oatmeal and all that. But they had like, uh, what was it? Chicken and rice soup the first night. And man, I just smashed so much of that chicken and rice soup. It was so good. Then they had breakfast sandwiches the next morning. And like, that's the stuff I wanted. And that's mm -hmm. the stuff that fueled me. I think the reason my gut went a little weird was more so just like a lot of the sugars, right? The um, the simple carbs. And it wasn't like a blowout. I know like TMI, but it's like, it was more of like a brick in the gut. And that brick in the gut is no good, man. Like, I mean, either option's no good, but knowing that that was probably from my body, just trying to squeeze every bit of nutrition out of the simple carbs I was having, the real food came in clutch. So definitely real food. Also, I probably wouldn't waste my time changing shoes and socks as much as I did at first. I think I spent a little too much time doing that because when you come in and have like 10 minutes, right? 
every minute's precious, right? You need to put your energy towards what you need to put your energy towards. Mm-hmm. Like going back to intentionality, right? Your energy allocation is very important in that 10 minutes. And so it's not that important to change the shoes that often, right? Like, I don't know, you kind of embrace the suck of it all. And if you get blisters, you get blisters and change it then. But um, yeah, I think I would just not worry about some of the smaller things and I would eat some real food. I like it. I like it a lot. I still won't do one. <laughs> you should, have, man. They are great. They are great. I hope to share a course with you one day. Yes. Love, I would love to do that. Please. Uh, um, I'll tell you what, man. I'm impressed. I see exactly why Dylan said what he said about you. And, and I told you this before, and I think it's the skate in you, but you remind me of home in Southern California. But your smile, your energy, I appreciate that so much. And so one of the things we did not mention about you, so you're a USCA certified coach. Yep. And so ultra endurance coach. And so if anybody's looking for, are you actively taking on clients or no? I am. Yeah. I actually release my website here on Friday um, in honor of the one year since the 200. So I have a blog post and more information there. Um, and then on Instagram, just Eric underscore Huel. You can reach me, reach me there. Fantastic. So if you're listening to this and you're looking for options, definitely go check out Eric. I do want to know, you, you made a statement, if we aren't applying what we're learning through sport into life, then what are we doing? Let's let's kind of close out on the, that. And as a follow on, I do want to know, why is it so important for you to see others succeed? Because we know that about you as well. Yeah, totally. So I feel like if we're going to devote this much energy and effort towards grinding out all these miles, doing all this weird stuff, right? Like, being sleep deprived or calorie deficient and so on, right? Like there's gotta be some other application to this, right? Like, yes, leave it all in the woods or on the track from a fitness standpoint. But I feel like there's so much that we can learn about ourselves out there to bring back to, like we were talking about earlier with goals, right? There's so many different life circumstances that you can apply what you're learning to your life and, it's just, it's the training ground for life, right? Is it out in the woods grinding and learning more about yourself? So then your second part of your question now, it's important to see other people succeed, man, is because I think there's just a giddiness that I get when I get to see other people push their limits and accomplish big goals that then pushes me to go do the same, right? Whether that's someone going from a couch to 5k, right? I get amped to go do something like a last man standing race, watching someone do a couch to 5k or helping coach them through that because I get to see them push their own limit and not give into those barriers we were talking about earlier, right? Which makes me think out on, you know, an ultra, oh shoot, like my mom out there who did a couch to 5k or like did this race, right? She had to push herself so hard. I need to tap into who she is in that moment. And also, I think I learn more about all of this from people that I get to coach and be a part of, right? Then I get to end up sharing. So yeah, it's just, dude, it's hard to put to words, man. It's just so cool. So I agree with it hundred percent. It's kind of like why we do this. We just want to see people succeed in the sport and to really just take those steps, um, whatever that looks like, regardless if it's their first 50 K like, you know, it's, an, it's still an ultra and we know the sacrifices they have to go through to make it happen. And we just want to celebrate along with them. And so it's why we like to talk to people like you. Um, you can kind of provide some different insights for, for them. And so I, it, what you said, I resonate with a lot. Cool. Yeah. Well, Eric, man, 
This has been such a joy, and I am so truthful when I say that. So for everybody, I know you already said it, but it's at Eric underscore Huell, H-E-W-E-L-L. We'll put all everything in the notes. We're going to have you stick around because we're going to do a fun little game for Patreon. For everybody else, thank you so much. Please, if you'll take the time, send us a review, send us feedback, um, all that kind of stuff. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, Eric, thanks so much for being with us, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Keep crushing your mission. And uh, we probably don't say it enough, but you know our motto is just show up. So if you're listening, just show up. And until next time, cut. Well, it's good to meet you guys. Thanks for having me on. So officially, I'm Jeff, and this is Jeremy. That's 75%. Do you want me to go 100? Full send? I think that sounds good. I think that's perfect. (laughs) You're going to be yelling at me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude. If you want to grab coffee, hit a run or whatever, dude, I'm always down, man. Well, you're fast, but I love coffee. Hey, dude, I'm always down to to chill out and trot around, dude. Any day out there is a good day. How do you say Dylan's last name? Uh, scaring jelly. So it is with the jet. We were like, is it, is so it a gut Italian, yeah. So Italian. <laughs> Off your note, dude, I got dirt for days on him. So you just let me know what, uh, <laughs> what you want me to publicly say and we'll do it. And don't feel nervous when they're like, oh my God, I write down something I said. Because I'm probably feel like it's like a job interview, man. Right? It's like, we're yeah. going to hold it against you. Yeah, yeah, if we get the infamous ding, then I'll give you the like, oh crap, maybe we just edit that out and keep rolling with it. Where are you from originally? Uh, Apex, North Carolina, man. It's okay. right near Raleigh. I grew up in Southern California. You got the SoCal vibe for sure. Yeah, I grew up skateboarding, man. Yeah. So it's just like Come, comes my, across. Yeah, it's just <laughs> in the vernacular and all. And actually, here real quick, I don't want to screw up anything, but we got the little half pipe in here. Uh, of course he does. That's so awesome. That was fun. I enjoyed Dude, that. that was so fun. <laughs> You're gonna work on that wind dancer for me. Pronounce your last name for you. Is it Huel? Yeah, Huel. You're right. Okay. Just wanted to make sure before I. Scary and Jelly. Welcome, Hewell. Eric Hewell. Hewell. Yeah. <laughs> Hewell and Scary Gully. <laughs> scary Gully. <laughs> scary Gully. <laughs>